This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am your host, Tyler Metcalf. Reading and listening to our evaluations is a great way to learn about these prospects, but if you don't know where we're coming from and how we get to that evaluation, it can be confusing or perhaps misleading. As we start to enter conference play and we've put out plenty of opinions and analysis on guys, I wanted to bring on another No Ceilings contributor to shed light on how he approaches his evaluations. We all have different biases, view the game in different ways, and even have different blind spots in terms of archetypes and player skills. So even though some of our rankings on guys may be drastically different, the evaluation could be the exact same. Uh, that is where our individual draft philosophies really come into play. It is incredibly common to see a prospect differ by 20 places or so on different people's big boards between evaluators. But the simple cause for that is the evaluators valuing that prospect's strengths and weaknesses in different ways. So hopefully by the end of this episode, you'll have a better understanding of where we're coming from when you read or listen to our future work. But without further ado, I'm really excited to bring back on Alex, a.k.a. Draft Film School. Alex, how's it going? Tyler, it's going well. Thanks for having me uh, back on. I'm uh, excited to kind of dive into uh, a different type of uh, podcast here today, not really focusing on individual prospect and breakdowns, but more, you know, philosophical and just, you know, the scouting kind of, uh, you know, mindset that, that each of us kind of have when, when we're watching tape and, and reviewing these guys each year uh, should be interesting. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And that this is always a topic that I find really kind of illuminating when we, or whenever you hear different evaluators talk about, because it really sheds light on why they rank this guy over this guy or why, or what they're seeing when they watch film. And I'm always really fascinated in how different people approach their kind of evaluation process and when they watch a game because it, it always seems to be different across the board regardless of who you talk to or who you ask so that's really where I wanted to kind of start off with you and pick your brain on what is your approach when you first watch a game are you locked in on one guy um, do you go in with like preconceived notions on what you're looking for, or are you just kind of open-minded and just waiting for something to <laughs> pop and get you excited about any of these guys as NBA draft prospects? And then just kind of how does that overall philosophy or view or approach to a single game differ from maybe the first time you're watching a guy to the 10th or 20th time you're watching a guy? Yeah. So I don't really watch too many games like live. Um, so I think that allows me to kind of focus in not on a ton of guys at the same time, but I would say like maybe one to two when I'm going into a game. Um, like for example, 
like the Wisconsin Purdue matchup from the uh, I think yesterday. Yeah. Um, you know, Johnny Davis and Jaden Ivy, like going back, being able to kind of rewind, slow the tape down, stuff like that, really allows me to focus on both of them uh, and not have to rewatch the game twice. Um, but I'm also kind of rewatching possessions twice and stuff like that. So it, it still takes a lot of time. Um, but, and that also kind of, you know, alludes to the point that you were mentioning before about like preconceived notions. Like, so I'll be on Twitter the night before the, when the night, uh, when the game is going on and I see pe- people tweeting out clips, people tweeting out, you know, things that these prospects are doing throughout the game. So by the time I actually watch it and sit down and look at the film myself, I kind of know, you know, kind of how each guy played. So in the back of my mind, so that stuff's obviously sitting there, but I try mm-hmm. to not kind of, uh, you know, encapsulate my entire, um, you know, opinion on how a guy played or, or how the game went. But there definitely is kind of that, um, you know, aspect going on just because I don't, I don't watch a lot of the games live. Um, but I do like having being able to, you know, rewind and stuff like that. I think that really allows me to dive into kind of the more nuanced uh, stuff in the game and not just like on ball scoring or, you know, steals and blocks and stuff like that. You can really get a a better concept of kind of their off ball movement, uh, both on offense or defense and um, just, you know, stuff like that. Uh, I would say those are kind of the, the main things that I, you know, look at uh, when I'm going in on the tape and, you know, rewatching these clips back and forth. I, I'm I'm glad that you mentioned that you kind of prefer the the games that have like one or two prospects in it because like the the Duke Kentucky games or those games where there are like five to eight guys wh- who you know are all expected to go pro. I absolutely hate watching those games because they're, <laughs> it's just too much for it's, me to yeah. really focus on. And it's like, yeah, you get the highlights of these guys, but then you spend half the time rewinding and it's like, wait, why? Who got beat on that back cut? Why did? that pass get made and it, it's almost too much noise but then when you get it kind of diluted down to like you said johnny davis versus Jaden ivy and when especially when they're going head to head like that i think that gives us such a a better understanding of these guys as a player and you can really focus in on like the nuances of their footwork what are they doing when they're finishing at the rim are they moving off ball where's their defensive rotations at I feel like so much of that gets lost in those, you know, those quote unquote big time matchups. Those games are typically more fun to watch live, but from like a scouting standpoint, I, I, I agree that it, it's so much more difficult or more enjoyable from a scouting standpoint to really hone in on that one guy kind of per game. As as the season progresses and you've seen a guy a couple times, how does your approach to watching him change? So instead of so for me personally, the first time I watch a prospect, I'm I try to go in with a pretty much blank slate unless I've seen some of their high school stuff and just wait for stuff to pop. I I like to start out on an optimistic note and find out what I like, why and figure out why should this guy be an NBA prospect? What does he bring to the table? What do I get excited about? And then after three, four, five, six, however many games, then I like to kind of slowly start picking apart his game and really kind of analyzing, okay, what does he need to improve on? Where are his weaknesses? Why isn't this happening as much as it should? So how do you approach kind of your progression through a guy's 
or a spit a singular prospects season. Yeah, I, I think it's pretty similar to you know how you laid it out. I I try to look for kind of patterns in you know how they play, decision making, things like that. Because you could see a game where uh, you know he's a guy's really good. You could see a game where a guy's really bad. In like your first viewing, and you know I tried to not have that really shape my opinion of them. Um, I try to get like at least a three game sample before I really have you know strong opinions on a guy, I feel like at that point you can understand, you know, how they like to score, how they play make, how they move off ball, um, decision-making, you know, just get their overall style of play. And then from there, really just incrementally adding on different pieces, um, you know, are they still doing the same stuff they were doing at the beginning of the year? Uh, Have they improved in certain areas where, you know, they weren't so great at the beginning um, you know, have they taken a step back where, you know, have they shoot the ball well in like the first three games and now, you know, they're in a slump. So I feel like over the course of a season, um, obviously the more games you could watch the better. Um, but at some point you're going to hit a, you know, diminishing level of returns in, in terms of, you know, games watched and, um, you know, how confident you are in your evaluation, because you just hit yourself over the head with, with too many, you know, watching too many possessions and, and too much stuff. And then it just gets overwhelming and you're, you're watching 20 games on a player and uh, you know, you go back and forth on them, you know, 20 different times. Um, So it's definitely trying to find that balance of number of games. What type of games are you watching? Are you, are you watching the, you know, in conference games against top level opponents? Are you watching, uh, you know, against low level D one? You know, so it's, it's always trying to find that balance. So I always try to find games where, um, are kind of the middle ground in between like the kind of outlier, really good games and the outlier, really bad games. Um, watch a couple of those, watch, you know, a couple of the really good games, watch a couple of really bad games and try to kind of take all that, all those data points from the different types of games that they have and kind of come up with an overall kind of evaluation. Yeah. And, and selfishly, those really good games are, obviously the ones that are way more fun for us to go back and watch because it's like, yeah. we, we want to see these kids perform and excel. And that's when they really jump off the page. And when you watch a guy go for 40, it's a lot more enjoyable than when we have to watch him go two for 12 for six points or something. <laughs> so while those breakout games, those explosive outlier games are more enjoyable, they're also the outliers. So they come fewer and farther between when the guy isn't having those nights where he isn't dropping 30, 40 points and instead is shooting poorly or not really getting his shots off at all. And he's not scoring. What are you looking for him to be doing? Are there, are there specific skills that you look for that kind of counter that, or is it just kind of more archetype based? Yeah, I think it's it's definitely going to change, um, you know, by the type of player. So if let's say like an on-ball scorer guard, mm-hmm. um, you know, is, you know, their main driver of the the team's offense. But that night, you know, the defense is really keying on him. And, you know, he either, you know, is not shooting the ball well, not getting good looks, um, stuff like that. So I, I for that specific type of archetype, like I would like to see, you know, some more playmaking pops. Um you know, if doubles are, are coming, is he hitting the open man uh, quickly? Um, you know, 
in pick and roll? Is he kind of hitting the the second side read uh, if the defense takes the first one away? Um, so things like that, I think from a, a scoring like standpoint, just making sure that if he's not getting his his buckets, that he's still you know positively impacting his team on the offensive end um, by playmaking and get his, his teammates open looks. Um, because you would think at the end of the day, you know, if they're not getting good looks that they could try to help their teammates get good looks. Um, at some point, you know, no team is going to play perfect defense. Um, you should be able to get a decent look off. Uh, so just having, you know, that aspect in looking at scoring guards and then you some more off ball guys, I think it's a little more difficult because they may not have the, you know, number of times that they can impact the game just because they don't have the ball in their hands, like a Kendall Brown, for example, Um, you know, he goes games where he takes two shots, Um, you know, he'll make one and miss one. Uh, So he could be, you know, a tricky evaluation from that standpoint, just because, you know, the numbers might not pop out at you, but for him, you know, it's all about, and guys like him, it's all about off ball movement, um, you know, screen setting um, defensively, you know, getting into passing lanes, staying active off ball, um, knowing where to be making rotations, um, you know, and that, and that's the key for kind of everyone on defense, but just for guys that might not be getting in the game as much as, you know, they'd like to, as much as you'd like to see them offensively um, it's, you know, how can they stay, you know, in the game defensively and really, you know, be paying attention and not making that kind of frustrations lapse over to uh, the defensive end. Yeah. Um, and so as evaluators, we all have our little different nuances and what we enjoy, what we value a little more um, and kind of what turns us off. And that that really differs if you ever scroll through draft Twitter. It's incredibly different all across the board. So something I'm always fascinated by is where people miss on and, you know, I, I, I miss plenty. And I think a lot of that comes from per, or specific archetypes that I kind of struggle to really get a grasp on because I just, for one reason or another, I just struggle to see them translating to the NBA. And all of us miss. It's good to be wrong. That's how we learn. That's how we get better. So Alex, what is an archetype that you typically find yourself missing on or struggling to get a clearer evaluation on? Yeah, I I would say like, I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but like score only guards or like inefficient, so, like, like volume scores. Rates. Yeah, exactly. So like a guy who I, I missed on like Anthony Edwards, like I had him fourth. So it's not like I, you know, had him out of the lottery or something crazy, but he's obviously a top two player in that draft. Um, mm-hmm. But he was a tricky evaluation for me because obviously he has all the tools physically. He was a great shot creator, but he really settled for the shot way too much. Um, you know, with a guy with his frame and everything, didn't really get to the the rim as much as you'd like uh, to see at the college level. Um, wasn't always engaged when he didn't have the ball in his hands. So guys like that are always like a tricky evaluation for me. Obviously, Anthony Edwards is, you know, taking huge strides this year, had a good rookie season as well. So uh, totally wrong on having him fourth um, in that draft. Uh, But like other guys in the past, like 
Uh, last year, Cam Thomas was a tricky one for me as well. I still had him 30, so I kind of hedged my bet there and tried to learn from my mistakes a little bit so I wouldn't get killed on that one. But um, obviously, one of the best scorers in the country, no doubt, at the guard position, but didn't really do anything else. Um, you know, didn't really do much defensively, uh, not a lot of passing flashes there. Um, but he can get his own shot whenever he wanted. And that's obviously one of the most important skills in the NBA. Um, But it's just how much do you weight that in at least the guard position? Um, You know, Cam Thomas is, uh, you know, 6'4", I think. Anthony Edwards is, you know, 6'5", but he's a freak athlete. So that kind of changes positionally what he can do. But that's always been kind of a tricky one for me. And like, you know, a guy that encapsulate, encapsulates that <laughs> in, in this draft uh, is Jaden Hardy um, out of the G League Ignite. Um, you know, I was never that that's, I, I wasn't that high on him coming in. I know a lot of people kind of had him as a top five guy coming into the year. You know, I had him, I think, outside the top 10 coming in. Um, you know, he hasn't been as great as advertised in the Ignite program. Obviously, they're going against tougher competition than than college basketball. But he also doesn't have the athleticism that Anthony Edwards has. Um, he does have pretty good skills getting into his own shot, um, even though he is kind of an, not a great dribbler. Um, you know, when he attacks the basket, he can sometimes lose it. But when he has really good step backs and sidesteps, stuff like that. Um, so he's been kind of the one guy in this class I would kind of highlight in, in that archetype where I don't really know where to put him. Um, and I don't really see the top 10, um, you know, prospect that other people, uh, might see that kind of, you know, look for shot creators and really value those guys uh, in the top tier. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought that kind of style of player up because I feel I'm kind of in the same boat with you where I, you know, I'm not sure that I necessarily struggle with it. I just, that type of player isn't my favorite player to kind of incorporate into the NBA and like a team system because they're all, they're typically, you know, shoot first, second, third, fourth, and then maybe pass fifth type of guys. <laughs> um, I, I, I was in the same boat with Anthony Edwards where I, I think I just ended up overthinking it and the athleticism was absurd and you know, he's kind of similar to LaMelo who I think we'll also talk about here in a little bit, but his ability to buy into an NBA team and that system and that culture, you know, translated immediately and it was something we never saw from them at lower levels. Um, Cam Thomas is another guy. I was right there with you. I, I kept him in the back half or the very end of my first round because the, shot making and the space creation and all that was absurd, but he didn't do anything else. And then he started showing awesome skills and it translating immediately to like the G league and summer league and some of his early NBA appearances. And then that I got a lot of kind of cam Thomas vibes with Jaden Hardy. It's just hard. Hardy's one of those guys where I'm, I feel like I'm going to regret being too low on him. So I'm trying to hedge my bets by still keeping him in that late lottery area as he was projected as this awesome kind of on ball scorer shooter, but it's been really inconsistent. 
what what have been your kind of biggest gripes with him so far? Yeah, I think the the handle is I think my biggest uh kind of hiccup with him right now. Um, you know, as I mentioned, he can get into his own shot. Uh he's got good moves, but he's not a very good dribbler. He has a high dribble, it's loose. He gets it picked, um, you know, a lot when he tries to drive um, or any, anything like around traffic. Uh, he loses the ball kind of way too easily. Um, I do think he's a good shooter. I, I, he's definitely a better shooter than the numbers. He takes a lot of difficult shots. So I do think if he ends up being like a good off ball kind of secondary guard, um, I think I don't think that would surprise me. Uh, I would be surprised if he actually turns into kind of that alpha dog um, number one, you know, offensive option like an Anthony Edwards. Um, I just don't think he has the athletic upside. Um, I don't think he has the overall kind of scoring package. You know, he's shown a little bit of flashes getting to the rim, but they're a little few and far between. Um, And then again, at the basket, he's not, got to finish over people he's going to have to rely on a lot of finishing craft around uh around defenders and not over them so that could always be tougher with longer defenders in the nba so i think i think he's still going to be fine i think he's going to be you know long-term nba player i just don't know if he'll ever reach that kind of um you know primary scoring option on a good team uh level that a lot of people were kind of expecting of him uh coming into the year for me, Hardy was one of those guys that I was actually able to catch a handful of his high school games. And and when you watch the highlights and the game tape, and it's like, this dude is making a ton of really tough shots. And it's it's really hard not to be impressed by it. But then at the same time, it's you, you take a step back and it's, wait, this guy's supposed to be a top NBA draft pick. Why are these shots so hard for him against high school competition? And that's where my real hesitations about his space creation, his athleticism really started to come into play. So for me, I I wasn't necessarily surprised that those are the same kind of issues plaguing him now. Nathan Grubel over at Draft Deeper harps on his handle all the time or lack thereof. I don't think Hardy's handle is necessarily bad until he tries to do something with it. So I guess maybe that does mean that it's bad, but when he's kind of within himself and, you know, he looks kind of flashy and controlled in, in that general space that he's in. But then once he tries to turn the corner, he can't get the first step on a guy. And then, like you said, it's really high once he's on the move. And I think that limits the crispness of like his step backs and his ability to create space. And I, I just don't think he has the athleticism to really do that at the next level, at least too consistently. I don't think it's also all doom and gloom with Hardy though. I I really like his shooting. I think he will be a good shooter at the next level, especially if he's put in more of an off ball role instead of a lot of the on ball reps he's getting with the G league right now. And then something else that I've been really impressed with that we never got to see out of Cam Thomas was, is the kind of improved playmaking. I really like that once Hardy is getting in in the paint and in the interior, his passing with either kickouts or, you know, dumping off to the big man in the dunker spot or on the roll has really improved since his high school days. Are you seeing anything similar with his passing? Do you think he can do more things than just be that kind of off ball inefficient scorer at the next level? 
Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. I actually do kind of like his playmaking. Um, I, I think the Ignite you know, program has really thrown him kind of into these uncomfortable situations as being kind of a primary pick and roll ball handler, uh, which is good. It's, it's a good learning experience for him. I think it's really, um, you know, increased his, his playmaking ability. Um, you know, going back to his high school tape, there was a, a pass every, you know, other game that was like really mm-hmm. nice. Um, but he was taking like 40, 30 shots a game. So he, it wasn't one, it wasn't many opportunities to pass the ball, but, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I think, I think he's, you know, a pretty decent playmaker. I don't think he's anything crazy. Um, but he's definitely better than he was in high school. And, uh, I don't think that he can't get better. Um, I, I think he could be totally good kind of second side creation, um, shot creator and distributor. Um, you know, again, is he going to be a primary on ball, you know, creator, both passing and scoring? I don't think so, but um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. There's only a, like a handful of guys in the NBA that do that on a regular basis and do it at an elite level. So that's no kind of, uh, you know, negative on his part. I think it's just going to be, if you're going to, you know, throw the offense and give him the keys, I think you're going to struggle and you're kind of seeing that with the ignite. Uh, team he's kind of being thrown in the fire um, and he's you know working through some things which is fine Um, but you know at the NBA level you're not going to have that luxury Um, you you, if you don't if you're not good you're not going to play so um, it'll be interesting to see you know the team that drafts him how they utilize him Um, and then you know I could be wrong on everything I just said and he could turn (laughs) into the next star Uh, you know I, I don't know Hey, for, I mean, for for the sake of sake of content, you know, I, I'm not necessarily rooting for you in uh in, in that context. But um, so so while you kind of struggle with the the volume scoring guards, for me, it's always the undersized power forwards or centers who at least haven't proven that they can shoot. I never have any idea what to do with these guys, and they're the guys that I just have to watch an obscene amount of games of because for some reason it just doesn't click on how they can translate to the NBA. It's weird because guys with really high motors are ones that I typically prefer and end up, you know, bumping a couple spots because of that. But a, a player in the past who kind of fits this mold who I completely whiffed on is Isaiah Stewart. I I had Stewart in like the mid to late second round because I just didn't see how his, you know, lack of, he he felt like a really stiff athlete. He didn't really prove that he could shoot a whole lot, at least consistently. He wasn't given that opportunity and it just felt like this small ball five, who's going to kind of be physical and just try and outwork everybody this year. I think Tari Eason is the guy who's kind of fitting in that role for me. And thankfully you just published a piece on no ceilings on Tari Eason. That was wonderful. And like you've said that he's what kind of one of the most derisive prospects right now on draft Twitter. For me, I, I love Eason's athleticism and at rim finishing the above the rim finishing stuff is awesome. It's jumps off the page the the defensive playmaking I really enjoy and how he kind of fits and spearheads that really aggressive defensive style that LSU plays. But that shot is brutal right now. And, you know, 
if I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong or, you know, that needs to be completely overhauled with his mechanics, because when you watch the release, it kind of looks fine. But then the result is way off. His lines are all over the place. I don't know if it's too much thumb, too much pinky. He just has no depth perception or what. But for him not to be able to shoot at all, I think that's really going to affect his ability to get to the rim in the NBA. And then if he can't do that, I'm just concerned about what type of role he plays. Historically, my concerns on these guys always tend to get nullified pretty quickly because they always kind of find a spot. And I seem to continue to not figure it out or learn from my mistakes. Where where are you at with that type of player? Do you prefer them? Do you think it's a lot easier for them to kind of fit into a rotation? No, I think it's definitely a tough kind of archetype, the tweener, um, you know, non floor spacing, you know, forward. Yeah. Um, you know, Isaiah Stewart, I think I was similar to, in your boat. I think I had him in like the mid thirties. Um, obviously, you know, high motor guy, um, you know, smart defender, you know, long arms, um, you know, good shot blocker, but wasn't a great athlete. Um, didn't really shoot the ball, but he did actually have like a couple, you know, mid rangers. I remember at Washington and I think he was a pretty good free throw shooter. So there were a couple of signs there that he might be able to, you know, stretch it a little bit. Um, with, with Tari Eason, um, I think with him, he's a little different because I think he's a little more versatile uh, of mm-hmm. a defender. Um, I trust him a little more on the perimeter. Um, you know, very disruptive. Uh, you know, he's got amazing, you know, block and steal numbers, um, you know, on a permanent basis, he, you know, is a monster in transition, um, especially with the ball in his hands and, you know, being a six, nine, you know, forward, that's not, you know, a normal thing to do. Um, so, you know, that's what kind of my piece kind of focused on is just his play in transition, I think is kind of a real, you know, you know, game breaker. Um, you know, and I think it will translate to the next level. He's a good rebounder. He can grab and go. Um, so I think those, he's he's kind of like a, a different style of this like hybrid forward who can't shoot um but i think he's a little more versatile than like an isaiah stewart um yeah. so i i would have like coming into the year I, I have Easton better or higher on my board than i would have like a stewart because okay. i think i kind of viewed stewart last year as kind of a pure center i, I don't think he could have could play for um you know at, at the nba level with Tari, I think he probably will play four, maybe some small ball five um, in, you know, closing lineups and stuff like that. So, I don't know, it's always tough with, with guys that, you know, can't really space the floor, aren't, you know, high offensive creator guys. Um, you know, so what's their best outcome on the offensive line? Are they just going to be a role man? Um, you know, because if they can't pick and pop, that kind of limits them in, you know, pick and roll function. Um or just could be an off-ball cutter. Um, so, I mean, they, they really have to – basically, it comes down to the defensive end, and they really have to step up their game defensively to kind of warrant, uh, you know, first-round grade uh, draft pick um, in order to kind of make an overall positive impact on the game. And, you know, those, are, those guys are tough to come by, just, you know, purely monsters on the defensive end, but, um, you know, can give you enough offense to kind of make up for um, – you know, the lack of their overall offensive game. Um, it's definitely a tough kind of archetype to look at. Um, but yeah, I think those two guys are kind of, 
you know, good examples of ones that, you know, I think Isaiah Stewart has done pretty well for yeah. himself in Detroit so far. Um, I think he's definitely, you know, I think he was drafted though 16th or something. Um, yeah, which, which so, stunned me. Yeah. So definitely higher than what I expected, but looking back, I think, you know, totally fine value for that pick. Um, maybe, you know, limiting a little upside, but you're getting kind of an immediate impact guy. And I think could be a similar story for Tari where, you know, he's going to give you pretty much immediate impact in transition on defense. And then, um, you know, you hopefully he can add a little bit more in the half court offensively. Um, and then you just you take him maybe at 16, 18, you know, in that range. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that would be too high, uh, especially in this draft class. Yeah, and while while there are those archetypes that we always struggle with, and you know, may, maybe turn us off in some aspects, there are also those that we completely buy in on and seem to click with and just kind of fall in love with right away. For me, that one is like these toolsy combo guards, if that kind of makes sense. They're not necessarily a point guard, but they're a little more on ball dominant than a shooting guard. For some reason, these players are ones I always fall head over heels for. Uh, A lot of times it gets me in trouble because they don't have that clear role in a rotation, but I think the, some of the star upside there is really fascinating and can be really important for how NBA teams build out their roster in pursuit of a championship. But, you know, since we're staying humble here, the you know I, I want to start off on where I've missed and where I've been completely wrong and the first one that comes to mind is Kyrie Thomas for me, uh, kind of combo guard out of Creighton a couple of years ago. I had him as a late lottery prospect, and unfortunately that did not turn out. Um, there's still time. I'm not giving up hope. Uh, his numbers last year for the Rockets were were absurd. Don't look at the sample size though. Um, just trust me. Um, but. While there are always those Kyrie Thomases, there's also the Donovan Mitchells, who I had as a top four or five guy in his year. He ended up falling. He's turned into a superstar. This year, the guy that really gives me those combo guard vibes who do a little bit of everything on in all areas of the game is Johnny Davis, who I'm by far the highest on of the no ceilings crew. Um, our big board should be coming out on Thursday, and I promise that I was the highest on Johnny Davis. Um, Everything he does on the floor, I absolutely adore. And I promise this isn't reactionary to just the Purdue game. I promise it's not. It's not. It's It's, not. not. I've been annoying everyone in the no ceilings chat for weeks about Johnny Davis. (laughs) And he was a guy who I had as a fringe first rounder coming into the season because I liked the flashes and the way he played the game last year. I was not expecting this level of jump and the, his three level scoring versatility, his ability to get to the free throw line, his defensive effort, screen navigation, off ball awareness, I think is all really, really special for that archetype of player. Alex, talk me off the ledge. I, 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 I know I've, I talked too much about Johnny Davis, but where are you at with these kind of combo guards who do a little bit of everything? Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could talk you off the ledge because I think I might be on the ledge with you. I think I'm right behind you on the ledge. Let's jump. Um, on, the, on the Johnny Davis uh, bandwagon. But yeah, I mean, so we talked about kind of score only guards like 
um, earlier where I, I mm-hmm. kind of have difficulty with. Uh, I think this group is the is a version above that kind of style of prospect where, yeah, they might be score first, but they also do a little bit of everything else as well. Um, like Johnny Davis, for example, obviously score first guy, but he does it efficiently. He does it at all three levels and he's a really good defender. So he kind of has a full all around game. And I, I think that that's, you know, a very valuable kind of archetype and prospect might not be, you know, you know, all world in, you know, defense and, and everything else, but he's very good at a lot of different things. Um, and just having that versatility and kind of that baseline, um, you know, understanding of how to play basketball all around game, uh, I think is super important. Um, you know, Kyrie Thomas, I don't really have a lot of takes on, on him. I, you know, I, I watched him at Creighton, but I, I didn't really dive deep on to him or, you know, I wasn't really deep in the, the draft Twitter and, you know, back when Donovan Mitchell was around, but uh, those are guys that, you know, also had those same traits. So, you know, some of them hit, some of them don't. I mean, that's just the the nature of the business. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of it comes down to opportunity, um, you know, not taking away things from like Donovan Mitchell or anything like that, but he came, he went into a great opportunity with Utah and, uh, earned playing time right away um, and really stuck. And sometimes guys don't, and then they don't really get that opportunity. So um, yeah, I think Johnny Davis is a good example of that kind of archetype in this class. And yeah, I'm right on board. I think I pushed them up, up all the way to five on my board. Um, definitely helps, you know, scoring 37 points on the road against Purdue um, in a win. So, um, you know, yeah, I think that's a good archetype and uh, one that I think you have shown that you kind of value higher than a lot of other people. And you were definitely one of the first guys, you know, um, hitting the drum of, of Johnny Davis, you know, top five. Um, and I think that's kind of creeping up to be kind of more of a consensus feel uh, right now. Yeah, so well, well, I while I tend to skew more towards combo guards, you get scared off of not maybe not scared off of, but struggle some with like the volume scores. Who do you, who really gets you excited when you see a player and what, what kind of archetype makes you really sit up and it's like, Oh yes, please more, more. Get, I, I, I need all of your tape. Yeah. So I'm, I'm definitely a sucker for guys who could pass. Um, and primarily like live dribble passing, um, you know, gets me in trouble at, at times for sure. Um, but like, for example, I had LaMelo, um, number one coming into the year. He never left that spot for me. He was in tier, uh, tier one, uh, you know, never really had questions. I mean, he was just a basketball genius. Um, so I, I never really had doubts. I didn't really care about the funky mechanics on the shot or the, lackadaisical defense i just he had he was an elite passer he was going to walk in the nba as a top five passer um and i was just going to bank on that skill being translatable right away and it has um you know similar with Cade cunningham last year he was my number one coming into the year he didn't leave that spot um you know he struggled at the beginning of his career but he was coming back from an injury so uh he's been playing better a little bit of late 
uh, that Detroit team is kind of in a messy situation right now, especially floor spacing wise. So that's kind of limited kind of his playmaking, I feel like. Um, but he's a guy that I'm still confident in long-term, um, you know, Josh Giddy, uh, you know, I had top 10, um, yep. you know, I didn't have, I didn't have him six, like where he went drafted, but I don't think, I don't know if a lot of people have him top six, um, you know, Tyrese Halliburton, I had top 10, he ended up going 12. Um, you know, th- those kind of guys that just know how to pass high basketball IQ. Um, but that can also get me, you know, in trouble. I had Sharif Cooper as a top 10 pick last year as well. Um, you know, Jerry's still out. He's you know, still first mm-hmm. year in the league, but um, I think he's smaller. So he's going to have kind of a, a tougher um, just develop a line overall. Um, and then, you know, at Killian Hayes, um, you know, I had number two, um, total miss. Um, I still, I still have faith of is him as a good role player because yeah, he is a really good passer. Um, he, he's just, he's just not athletic enough to really, um, put a lot of pressure on the defense from a scoring standpoint. So that kind of limits him on that aspect. So I, I, I am kind of thinking about, um, not falling into these traps of just guys that pass the hell out of the ball, um, and aren't great athletes, but, you know, guys in this draft who I love Taron Armstrong being number one, yes. <laughs> kind of fits that bill perfectly. <laughs> um, you know, he's going to be a first round guy on my board. And I don't, I don't really know if I'm going to, you know, I don't care what he does the rest of the year. He'll probably stay there <laughs> just because the passing is so good. Um, you know, Jordan Hall um, is another guy who is not as good of a passer, but he's a good passer and he's six, eight. Um, so that helps. I think size kind of matters when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, so I think he's, he's a guy who's in my first round as well. Um, and his shot has come around. So I think that is going to help him out a lot. Um, and then Travion Williams is like, Mm. not, you know, he's not a point guard, obviously he's a center, but he's one of the best passers, uh, in college basketball and just, very fun to watch, uh, especially out of the post. Um, you know, he, he's really, really good in that aspect. Same with Harrison Ingram, who's a freshman uh, guard in Stanford, another really good passer. Um, so those are just like guys that I like. I like, like they know how to play basketball. They, you know, play make for others. Um, just, yeah, I fall in love with watching beautiful skip passes to the corner, um, uh, you know, from one handed, no, no looks and alley-oops, stuff like that. It's, Passing is definitely my number one skill that I enjoy watching for sure. No, I'm right there with you. And, and and it's, it's what leads to that beautiful ball movement and those clips and those stretches of games that always wow fans when, you know, the ball's whipping all over the place and all five guys touch it within a 12 second period and they get a wide open shot. The common through thread or common thing between the guys that, um, that that have succeeded, that have proven you right, I think is the combination of that, you know, really special passing ability, but also the size. And all those guys that you mentioned who have hit that you were high on, Lamelo, Tyrese Halliburton, they have, yes, they have the live dribble, they have the vision, they have, they can do it with both hands, but then they also have the size that allows them to see over everyone and to 
really when they change the angle, it's a lot more drastic than when, say, Sharif Cooper changes changes the angle of his pass. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not writing <laughs> off Sharif Cooper yet, and I know you're not either, but it's a lot easier for those guys. When you bring up Taron Armstrong, I'm for, first. I'm I'm thrilled that you did because he's he is listed at six five. His I just got done going through about eight of his games and I'm, I'm right there with you. I have him at 24 right now. I think his playmaking is absurd. I will have something coming out on his passing on Friday, shameless plug, but that, that size and that strength and his ability to kind of get to his spots while absorbing the contact and then also being able to deliver the pass from any different angle or any, you know, bounce. It doesn't really matter where the ball is for him if he sees a guy open, he's getting it to him in one way or the other. Jordan Hall, I haven't had the opportunity to really dive in on yet, but everything I've seen has been super fascinating. For him at the next level, where do you see him really succeeding? And what what do you think would be the best situation for him? Not necessarily team or roster, but role and just how he's kind of implemented in the game. Yeah, so I I don't think he has kind of the the ball handling ability to kind of be you know your primary on um, ball creator uh, and playmaker um but i think at at times he can i think he's kind of a similar not as good of a passer as tyrus halberton but i think a lot of, some of the concerns with him coming in were his ball handling and his driving ability um and jordan hall has those same kind of concerns um even though he is pretty big he does struggle to get to the um get to the rim. Uh, but he has improved his jumper uh, a lot this year. So I think that kind of opens up the door of him being an off ball guard, second side creator type uh, player. Uh, so I, I think that could be kind of his bread and butter, um, you know, attacking closeouts, hitting knockdown or catch and shoot threes, um, running side pick and rolls. Um, you know, he can even, you know, be the role man in kind of a, um, you know, upside down, you know, pick and roll. Um, I, I think he's, he's going to be, you know, good, a good role player, maybe has some starter upside. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of like a team that could use kind of that, um, that guy, but uh, I just think overall, I think he'll probably land in, in a more off ball situation and, and hopefully the shooting kind of sticks. Um, but again, I, I really like his passing uh, you know, he's gotten a ton of pick and roll reps um, in his two years so far at St. Joe's. So it's something that he's comfortable doing. So I think he could do a little bit of that at the next level. So it'll be interesting to see how he's kind of used, um, you know, what what kind of situation he gets into. Uh, hopefully he can get some playing time early on because I, I think he could be kind of uh, an early contributor to some teams. And uh, another name that you mentioned that, kind of caught me off guard, but I'm thrilled that you brought him up because I haven't gotten to talk about him much on here yet is Travion Williams. And the, when his passing just really catches me off guard every time, even though I know it's coming because the, the gaps and the windows that he needs to deliver an accurate pass are minuscule. And it's not something you expect from that position, especially in college five, eight years ago, you know, there may not be an NBA role for Travion Williams, but as we see kind of the the playmaking get distributed 
throughout lineups now in the NBA with the increased spacing and player movement. I, I think there's a really good shot that Williams, that we see Williams, you know, being a contributor to a rotation in the NBA next season. Do you think that, are you kind of on the same page with, with Williams as of now, what do you see him kind of really excelling at? Why did you feel like he, like his name needed to be mentioned in this pool with Taryn Armstrong and Hall and LaMelo with these levels of passers? Yeah, I just think, yeah, I think he just keeps the ball moving. I think he makes an offense flow very well. Um, it's not, you're not going to throw it in the post to him and he's just going to stick and not pass out. He's actually looking to pass out of the post uh, more often than not. So I think he's going to be a very fluid um, offensive piece uh, for a team, you know, at the power forward center position. um, You know, he's really smart player knows where to be. Um, I I think the big, the biggest question mark with him is kind of on the defensive end. What, what can you expect from him as kind of a rim protector? Um, You know, on offensively, he's, he's shown some signs of shooting, um, but I think he's averaging less than one, three a game. Um, but he's shooting like 43% from three. So, uh, you know, can he stretch the floor? Maybe, maybe not, but I think his best position overall is probably going to be center. Um, so if you're throwing him out there and he's kind of your only rim protector, I think you're kind of going to struggle defensively a little bit. I think he has the physicality for sure to kind of bang down low with guys in the post. Um, yeah, for sure. but if you're kind of wanting him to be, you know, weak side rim protector or just an overall, your, your only guy that protecting the rim, I think that might be an issue for some teams, but offensively, I think he's going to fit in fine. Um, yeah, I really like him, you know, playing on the short roll and picking out open guys, hitting down, you know, uh, you know, mid range jumper would be huge for his game as well. Um, yeah, so I, I, I really like him as kind of a late first round pick at this point. Um, I think, you know, he might not have a ton of, you know, upside, but kind of what we were talking about with like an Isaiah Stewart. Um, I, I think he could immediately impact the team. Um, I think more so offensively than Stewart, mm-hmm. um, but probably less so defensively than Stewart. For sure. And I, I think that's kind of a good place to wrap up. Um, hopefully this talk gave our listeners a better understanding of where we're coming from when they listen to us in the future or read our stuff and kind of just gives up, gives all of you a better context of how we view the game, what our approach is to watching and evaluating what we value when we do watch these guys. But Alex, as we do every episode, what is the best thing you've seen in the basketball world recently? Um, So I won't, you know, I won't, say what everyone else would say in the Johnny Davis explosion uh, against Purdue. Um, but I've been watching uh, Darion Sebron a lot uh, over mm. the past couple of days and primarily his game against Florida State, um, New Year's Day, 32 points, seven assists, five rebounds, um, was 12 of 14 from the field, um, got to the line a bunch, um, really dominated them in transition, got to the rim whenever he wanted, um, really kept NC State in the game. Uh, close loss, but he, he really impressed me. I mean, his ability just to get to the rim, uh, his finishing package is 
you know, top notch. And he's six seven. He looks taller than six seven. I don't know if it's because he has like the longest legs ever, but he is just very long, very, you know, interesting ball handler. Um, the passing is he had seven assists, but he also had six turnovers. So decision making it definitely is an area where he needs to kind of um you know, increase, he can kind of force things a little bit, but at the end of the day, he's got to be one of the best rim pressure guys um, in the half court and in transition uh, in this class. Um, He's an older sophomore, but I think he's starting to climb up people's boards. I think, um, you know, Wasserman just put him at 28, I think in his latest mock draft, which was was really high for me. I didn't even think he, he would be, you know, top 40 for a lot of people. So, I think he's a guy to keep an eye on uh, as ACC play kind of increases. Um, but he's kind of really impressed me just with his overall just slashing and driving ability. Yeah, he's definitely exploded kind of across the draft community recently. And our, our own Evan Wheeler put out a, a good article and mentioned him in yeah. one of his sleep articles about a month ago. So make sure to go check that out, too. Alex, thank you so much for joining me and providing your insights on how you approach your evaluation process uh please plug away tell the people where they can find you and what to keep an eye out for yeah thanks again for having me um yeah uh, at on twitter at draft film school um i'll put all my stuff out there and my thoughts and um post like big boards and then you could come back two years later and tell me how wrong i am (laughs) um you know no ceilings mba obviously uh find all my work there tar east and peace just came out so feel free to give that a read. It's, it's pinned on my Twitter as well. So those are kind of the main two areas. And then if you're a Knicks fan, uh, the Strickland and uh, Knicks fan TV are two places where I contribute as well. So um, feel free to kind of jump in towards closer to draft time. Um, I'll probably be doing more stuff with them. Make sure to go give Alex a follow and support everything he does. It's always great work. Once again, I'm your host, Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at tmetcalf11. And please make sure to subscribe to the No Ceilings Substack at noceilings.substack.com, where you can find all of our work. And please also follow us on Twitter at No Ceilings NBA. The Substack is completely free and gets delivered directly to your inbox. So there are zero excuses not to subscribe. Please make sure to check us out on YouTube at No Ceilings TV as well. We continue to put up a lot of really good videos and breakdowns on guys as the season progresses. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.